the dulcet the dulcet sounds that means it's time for it 372 time. pages we'll never get back hello connor hey mike uh, there are two uh, new pocket operators they just released. Uh, those are what I used to make that theme song. They released them this week. There's a vocal sampler and a uh, regular sampler. So we might get an uh, updated version of that theme song with some vocoder effects in it. Wow. I'm looking forward to that. What did you call the – what was your They're initial? called pocket operators. Pocket operators. They're little digital music devices that are you know a little bigger than a credit card, and they've got 16 buttons and um, – Surprisingly expensive for what they are, but they're fun to mess around with. Yeah, I uh, I had a different vision of what a pocket operator was. <laughs> hey, hey-o. Uh Anyway, uh, why don't you tell the people what this podcast is? And uh, I mean, we said our names, but who are we and all of that, yeah, all of that so stuff. So I'm Connor Listoka, and we are doing 372 Pages We'll Never Get Back, which is started off as a book club about a book that we didn't hadn't read, but we were pretty sure we were going to hate. Uh, we did the first season of Ready Player One, which we uh, were pretty sure we were going to hate. And we didn't hate it. We didn't like it, but it was a lot of fun to read. And now we're doing the follow-up to that book, which is Armada by Ernest Klein. His uh, uh, not-as-well-received follow-up to Ready <laughs> his, Player One. His sophomore effort, yes. And uh, in our pre, uh, uh, pre-episode podcast, we talked about the reviews for that and uh sort of baffling the baffling that uh, the differences between the two one the first one was praised to the heavens this one not so much and uh, we're we're going to sort of root out the differences and uh, and and be your guides through the comparisons between the two yes what has changed in the uh, the author's uh, abilities or what has changed in the cultural zeitgeist or what has changed in the uh uh, junket and uh, bribe money sent out by the uh, publishing house to the reviewers in between these two. And we'll also ferret out if, like, uh, I'm trying to think of an author who did something, made a big, big splash, and then the second book was a uh, complete reversal, just a, uh, you know, took a different path and baffled his critics. We'll see if he does that in this. Is this going to touch on the same subjects of... Video games and uh, movies and things from the 80s. Stay tuned because we're going yes. to find out. But I, th- I thought it would be uh, interesting. I, when I looked at the uh, – I was looking at statistics and I realized it had pretty much been exactly three months between posting the last Ready Player One one and then posting last week, which didn't seem that long to me. But that was – you know, that's a, a quarter of the year. So I was curious um, to talk about what we had voluntarily – read in the meantime um during that downtime just to sort of obviously we weren't going to sit around and read more trash like this uh (laughs) hey hey, um, hey, you're editorializing too quickly (laughs) (laughs) right but uh so yeah what what have do you want me to go first or you want to go first oh go ahead yeah i think this will be good because then you'll the listener will know what kind of moods we're in and where our heads are with with literature as you coast into this and you can kind of calibrate based on that right Sure, sure. So I, I uh, on my the first thing I read after this was we took a trip to Costa Rica right before Christmas, um, and I was sort of debating whether to read, you know, like a beach reedy type of book. I even was like, maybe should I? There's a new Jurassic Park book that they like found in Michael Crichton's drawer, and I was like, that could be a good. <laughs> I page didn't know turner. that. Wow. Yeah, it's like I mean, it's one of those things they did it with Dr. Seuss too, where they're like, yeah, we found this sketch that he did. Uh, you know, on the can, and now it's a book. Like, oh, was thing. it was it completed by someone else? Yeah, you know, exactly. like with the assistance yeah. of. Okay, I guess. But I was still like, maybe this would work. And then, so I, but I decided not to do that, and I instead picked up a book called 
the three body problem, which I don't know how it came across my radar, but it was pretty much the opposite of that. It was it's written by a Chinese guy and it's sort of like a philosophical science fiction book. Um, it involves uh, first contact, essentially, but it has a lot of um, it has a, a simulation that these uh, people have made to try to uh, simulate this world that these aliens live in and they recruit people to um participate in that as a means of as engaging them in the efforts to contact these aliens. It was interesting, but it ended sort of very much, uh, what's the opposite? Not in media res, but it, it didn't finish the story. It was setting up a series. Um, oh, oh, okay. Which, but which the, once you've read 500 pages of a, of a Chinese translated sci-fi series with philosophical undertones, you're not necessarily <laughs> ready to like dive right into the next one. Well, uh, but there were simulations in it. Were there rigs of any kind? This is... <laughs> no, 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 they did. They had an entire like haptic rig. Oh, um, my God. Uh, I should have written it down because uh, you are in this sort of uh, you're on there. Um, you're playing the game called the three body problem, which I guess is a physics uh, puzzle about three objects orbiting each other anyway. Uh, but, yeah, you, you have to uh, put on the VR helmet and sit in the special chair so you're able to feel these uh heat and from the from the giant suns that are approaching or the cold when the suns go behind the planet type of thing wow oh. so yeah that's so there, there were and then after that i read uh the underground railroad which got a lot of press last year by colson whitehead which uh, my mom's book club had read and again i just sort of picked up not knowing much about it and it was a uh you know rather harrowing tale about slavery is it a, um, uh, a, a straight up history or is it a fictional, fictional it's history? fiction and it has some magical realism um aspects Ooh, oh, to it magical realism hard pass I, <laughs> I have never liked that i'm sorry i'm sorry to all those uh gabriel garcia marquez fans and everything i'm, I'm out yeah there's re there are real trains in the under, underground railroad and that was really the only aspect anyway you don't want to ruin it for people but it was you know it was good it was sort of everything you read about stuff like that is always going to be eye-opening to the uh horrors suffered by people during that era the sort of thing that you just sort of gloss over if you're just reading a history textbook but uh you know i'd rec i'd recommend it all right so that how does that prepare you and or not prepare you do you do you feel that uh your perspective had to shift from <laughs> from ready player one yeah i mean you know the slaves weren't doing a lot of talk about uh which uh, fictional blade they would prefer uh to to wield if they ever had the chance out of all of history while they were while they were picking cotton. Uh but you know, I think that book was also pretty popular. I don't know if it was a Oprah pick or if even that saw a thing, but I think that also probably sold a ton of copies. So that sort of gives you hope that something more well written and serious can still resonate with people. Sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. All right. And so what did you um, you know, pick up over the holidays? Um I do a lot of my reading um on uh on airplanes, not that I travel a lot, but then when I'm on an airplane and I'm captive and I can do nothing else, I make sure to read the books that, you know, you always say you want to read, but you never read. And so I just have a Kindle stuffed with classics. And so I read um, Two Years Before the Mast by Richard Dana, which is a, a sort of super popular at the time. I think it was pre, just pre-Civil War, a guy... Uh, stows away on a ship and they, uh, a hide ship, they were selling okay. and trading hides. And so they <laughs> went to, they went to California, um, which at the time it's a, it's a fascinating look. It's just like a day to day thing of his life on the ship. And it's real. 
It's real. He didn't call it straight up nonfiction. Okay. It was just what it was, but it was it's very obviously just his his day to day stuff. He probably fictionalized the names or something of the the people that he actually was on the ship with. But uh, gives you a fascinating picture of early California before human beings uh, were there in great numbers, and it was huh. just it was just the the Indians as they called them and Mexicans. This and and there's a lot in it that would be perceived as uh, uh, I think it would be problematic nowadays. Uh, his but, descriptions of the people his descriptions of the people. However, he he was also very generous towards many people. So it's actually very. Uh, it's a it's a cool book, but it has a lot of minutia about being on a <laughs> ship, which made me th- that similarity was like, oh God, here comes a list of what. Oh know, wow, nice. We're we're pulling the yard arm over the long hard. You know, it's just it goes. <laughs> the jargon is off the charts, but once you get used to it, it's it's uh, it's a good read. And well, it's, you said the same thing about like, you said the same thing about Moby Dick too, in terms of that. Yeah, being a, uh, yeah, exactly. They just, yeah. Books used to just sort of do that for you. Yeah, everyone knows what I'm talking about here, right? <laughs> uh, and then I read uh, E.M. Forster's uh, Room with a View, which was sort of charming and and very funny and sly, more than I thought. I thought it would be sort of a boring slog about oh god, manners of e- English people at that. But uh, no, it's it's uh, it was it was it was cool. And then I've read also a Frederick Beekner book. He's sort of a modern uh, C.S. Lewis. Uh, I believe he's still alive. He's an old man, but it was a, a short book. Um, I forget the title of it, but uh, like a philosophical, a philosophical tome. tome. Uh, he's he's also sort of a humorous writer too, uh, sort of sly and witty. So I think I'm prepared. <laughs> so maybe when people were saying, like, you guys aren't the target audience for this book, that's why you don't appreciate it. Maybe they were actually correct about that sort of thing. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on. I think they're right about that. <laughs> I think we've been up front. Right. But that doesn't mean we can't enjoy it. You read – look, I have, uh, I have a friend who reads um, – he, he's one of these fast readers. He, he can mm-hmm. read, like, a book a day, and I just watch him tear through, and he'll read one – just awful paperback pulp thing that he picked up in the airport. And then you see him next and he's reading like, you know, the Cicero or something. It's like, right. you know, he can just do that. So there's no shame in, in doing the, the trash thing every now and then. That's No, that's, no, it's, you know, a good page turner is nothing, nothing wrong with it, especially when you're not one of those guys. It's, you know, if you're, if it's not the one book you're going to read a year, it's uh there's, it's perfectly fine. Exactly. All right. Although so I did, I, I took this to the coffee shop the other day uh, just oh, to no. get out of the house. Yeah. And I was like, I don't, what am I going to do? I'm not going to sit here. You know, it's a, I live in a small town, then I frequently run into people I know in the coffee shop. And then I didn't want to have any chance of, uh, you know, accidentally engaging with someone who thought I might be, um, you know, it's a very easy explanation, but it's also a, a weird explanation that sounds like you could be lying if you're like, no, I, seriously, I do this podcast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so I, so I took an old, uh, like a uh, moleskin cover and uh, oh, no, put, you did. put it on top of that. Yeah, it was like reading a spy behind a newspaper type of thing. Wow. Yeah, I used to uh, have to buy, you know, for riff tracks and for many things, I'd have to buy or rent terrible movies. And I remember once I went up to the counter and I, I've i never, ever recognized <laughs> anywhere, you know, th- this just doesn't happen. I'm not any kind of a, you know, but at, occasionally at video stores I'd get recognized and I could get away with it then. But I'd put a stack of just horrible, you know, 
80s sci-fi on the counter and you know it was like seven movies high and i i look at the guy and kind of you know give him a little wink and go yeah. i'm doing this project i gotta do this thing i have to look <laughs> at these terrible movies and he just like shakes his head and he puts his hand up he's like sir i don't ask any questions here i don't need to <laughs> I'm like, no no please please Not let buying, me explain you know. he's like no look look i don't want to hear it i've heard this all before <laughs> right i didn't come from the beaded curtain area of the store yes. like he he very he shamed me. I just sat there silently. All right, so should we dive in? Yeah, I, I do. You have an initial impression based on uh, based on what what whether those reviews were accurate? Uh, I'll give a I'll give an initial impression. Yeah, I I went in. It seemed pretty much the same. You know, it's a mm-hmm. kid of the same age. Uh, <laughs> I recognized his tropes. The 80s stuff uh, and 90s, whatever, came hard and fast. <laughs> and then it kind of just went into uh, went into a real slog. And we'll, we'll get into the details of that. Yeah. No, my impression was, was definitely that it, uh, I, you know, we sold those other books, uh, we donated them, I guess, uh, so I don't have it anymore. But I was like, I think by this point in Ready Player One, 47 pages in, a lot more had happened. I don't know. Yeah, stuff happened. It didn't make any sense, <laughs> and it, it didn't have any drama. But it had at least you, you sort of trying the seeds to puzzle out. Yeah, you yeah. you had to puzzle out what was happening and what was going on. And this one, I, I nothing really. I mean, it's the, nothing happened. Really. Yeah. So it's a lot. He saw a, lot a spaceship, pace. right? Yeah. That, that's right. it. Yeah. Well, let's get to that spaceship. All the, right. Uh, the book starts and, you know, I was like, all right, let's let's not be too nitpicky here. Like, let's just get ready. And then in the very beginning, that's the first the second paragraph. I saw something that was like, all right, well, I got a nitpick here. He just, he's talking <laughs> yes. about he, he's sitting in his class and he sees the flying saucer and he says that the disc streaked toward the distant horizon, which is, you know, I, I appreciated the clarification because it could have been like that. The horizon that was just a couple of <laughs> feet away from him as opposed to the <laughs> and then, yeah. but then so so he doesn't need that word distant but then li- the next sentence he says it hovered there motionless over the distant tree line for a few seconds and i had just <laughs> having just gone through the process of uh letting lauren edit a book i had written uh she would be like oh you've you've accidentally used the same word here in two consecutive sentences um just, you know, change one of them, just do something else. It's just jarring when you read the same thing. So that was that stuck out to me right away. The first page, uh, just needlessly using a word and then reusing it the next sentence. Well, and had she read and was editing his book, she would also say the first word is unnecessary. So the repetition of it right. is <laughs> quadruple unnecessary. Stop using that word. <laughs> Or learn what it is. Uh, you want to know where I first got bumped up against? Was sure. uh, I think it was pretty early on. He he refers to his town as Yonsville, USA, and <laughs> and I just made a note like, and here's the there's a language warning coming up. That's uh, the go fuck a duck sense of humor oh, yeah. we've come to love from her. Right. What? Yonsville, right. USA. What are you, Fonzie? <laughs> Well, he's talking about his hometown of Beaverton, Oregon, and it sort of I was like it reminded me that uh, the, the Twilight books were set in Forks. Yeah. And you just have to imagine these, you know, perfectly, I'm sure, fine, small Oregon towns are like, for the love of God, stop setting your your garbage, uh, you know, wildly popular books in our towns like people are going to flock to these locations just to take a picture outside of them. 
Yeah, so just to set the scene a little wider, yeah, he's sitting in his classroom. He is, what his name? What is his name? Lightman? Troy Lightman? Or is it, is, is that what it is? Uh, it's Lightman, yeah. And but so, the you first know. time they refer to him, they just call him, hey, Lightman, which could be, because you don't know it's a proper name. I'm like, they're calling him Lightman? What, what is he, like a superhero <laughs> or something? Lightman? <laughs> He's the fighter of the uh, of the day, man. Um, <laughs> yes, exactly. But no, so so like anything in this in these books, when you come across something like that, it's like I sort of sigh and you know eventually we'll look it up, and that's uh, <laughs> that is the name of uh, Matthew Broderick's character in the '80s classic War Games. Son of a bitch! Is yes, it really exactly. Yeah. Um, there was something else like that later when he goes into the uh, the video game store and the the computers are named something stupid, uh, small berries and um, oh yeah, the big, small big berries. Booty. I refuse to look yeah, up. I I did too until I reread it to take notes and that was uh, something from Buckaroo Banzai, just some some obscure reference that only your top gunters would get. Ugh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'm already disgusted. Well, actually, I got hung up on. Uh, when the the spaceship comes in that he sees and he's his his friends are uh and the people in his classroom and there's spit balls flying around and all of this he <laughs> refers to the ship as it looks like it's from this game that he plays all the time armada and it looks like the sobrakai glaive which yes. sounds like something that uh you know Jerry Lewis would try to yes. say when he yes, sobrakai glaive glaive <laughs> Um, which then I looked up and it's of course some mashup of crap that Uh-oh. look, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I was <laughs> but, like, but is that I a just, Cobra Kai reference? Like, yeah. Uh, but but yeah. immediately in my head, I was like, all right, are you expecting me to know how to pronounce this immediately? And I swore, I said, I'm going to skip it if it comes up again. But then it came up 8 million times. I'm like, all right, I'm looking it up. Damn it. Well, hopefully we could poison the well by making people think about Jerry Lewis or Professor Frank any time that they read that. Because <laughs> I think it's going to be coming up a lot. I based think on so. The, chapter three. Uh, yeah, but so he sees the uh, glaive fighter, and he <laughs> thinks that uh, he's, he sort of starts listing the various synonyms where he could be he could be crazy, and that's sort of like your Yawnsville USA. He's like, I was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, man. Cats with serious marble, marble deficiencies. The apple had fallen right next to the crazy tree. Um, but then he speculates uh, that had he been drugged? And he says, no, it's, it's impossible. All I'd eaten that morning was a raw strawberry Pop-Tart I wolfed down on the car on the way to school. <laughs> this is funny. These are both notes that I have exactly. <laughs> and I think I think people found different things to uh, to object about here. Like what struck me was the uh, his 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 claim, bold claim that. He had eaten a raw strawberry Pop-Tart, which would make him the only person in history to open up a thing of Pop-Tarts and eat one of them out of there. <laughs> to me, it was uh, what hung me up was, does he does he also call loaves of baked bread raw yes. before he makes toast? He's like, I'm not eating that shit raw. <laughs> what are right, you talking yes. about? Right. That was what Lauren got hung up on. It was a, a very odd way to describe that. Because people eat them like that all the time. Like, you know, I think you know, it's probably 50-50. Yeah. Um, I also, just to go back, I did write down cats with a serious marble deficiency. <laughs> is, it, what, is he suddenly Dennis Miller? I I honestly read it <laughs> twice. I'm like, do is there a thing where cats need marble or they get, are deficient and they go crazy? Like, <laughs> oh, my God, he's using it yeah, like no, a beatnik, yeah. like a fake beatnik. What, right. what is this? Yeah. 
That was bizarre. But like what struck me about that, and he does it a couple times, is he says, I was I was going off the rails on a crazy train, which like, okay, that's a uh straight up lyric reference from yeah. a street extremely popular song. And then but then he does the thing which strikes me as very much like uh it happens to you, I'm sure, all the time, but you make a you make a joke online and then someone will very helpfully add something to it uh, in the comments. Like if you said something like uh, um, if you were just like if there was a story about uh, solar panels and yeah. then you were like, hey, oh, you know, it looks like Rod from Burdemic got a great deal. And then someone would be like, yeah, I guess he was hanging out with his family. And you're like, well, that's yep. Yeah, that's right. that was my joke. <laughs> but he says I was going off the rails on a crazy train. I could practically hear Ozzy Husbourne screaming all aboard, and it's like you're you're doing it to yourself. He you're does it, yeah. That, he that does everyone this resents. constantly. It's like it's so weird. He undercuts his own incredibly lame jokes, or he just repeats them to the point where it's like, why did you yeah. make the first ref? Are we referencing things? Or are <laughs> we just like writing down lyrics for stuff? I, I don't get yeah, he what he's doing. He did it to the extreme a bit later, where he's like, uh, "What his dad said? What if they're using video games to train us to fight without even knowing it?" Like Mr. Miyagi in The Karate Kid. <laughs> yeah. When he made Daniel Sand paint his house, sand his deck, and wax all of his cars. Yeah. He was training him, and he didn't even realize it. Wax on, wax off, but on a global scale. <laughs> exactly. Um, I enjoyed in, in chapter one here, his teacher, he said, had been rocking the same uh, retro yeah. outfit for 45 years. <laughs> which he said was like, you know, the uh, the most cliche, like, Black tie, short sleeve shirt. You know, yeah, it was it was my grandfather's, uh, you know, first job back from World War II. Uh, it was how he dressed. Yeah, but he was rocking that retro outfit for forty five years. So he started out retro somehow. <laughs> I suppose <laughs> right. he walked in and everyone was like, "Whoa, Dave, pretty yes. pretty retro, dude." <laughs> I'm gonna going... I'm gonna stay with this for forty five years. My favorite thing about the teacher was when he uh, he when he the guy has done he's slapped the spitballs on the guy's head and the teacher levels a crooked finger at him, which is <laughs> struck me as, as like, did your teacher is, is Baba Yaga or he's, <laughs> he's warning you not to buy a monkey's paw. Like, it was a pre- <laughs> um, but yeah, that spitball scene was fairly revolting. Like the, uh, yeah. the, the, the bullies have also, you know, again, not changed since, uh, since Fonzie or the wonder years, but he's just this soggy pile of garbage. That's, you know, dripping down this guy's head. It was it was fairly fairly gross. Yeah, and his his language for talking about that annoyed me. He kept talking about that he had a a little pile of missiles laid out, like a wet pile of. How old are you? <laughs> the description was just it was it was just off. The whole thing was off about how you know he's doing a very very cliched scene. It seems like it's something from a. I don't even think it would be in a John Hughes John movie. Hughes, I think yeah. those are almost too knowing for that kind of thing but uh but the description of it just is i don't know he he has no sense of what is in time or anything you know what I mean? he's making references to obviously he stays in the lane of video games and everything but then when he gets out and t- tries to describe craziness he's talking about cats and stuff like and the, right. you know what i mean and this that spitball scene was like what are you trying to describe here well, yeah he, he doesn't have the skills to do it and so it just comes off very sort of gross and flat and weird well, it's super jarring a bit later when he like runs outside and then he's like, uh, he says to anyone watching, I must have looked like a complete mental case or maybe like Don Quixote tilting at a few windmills before he gave him the La Mancha beatdown. Yeah, I was very excited by that, I have to say, because 
I assumed uh, at first I was like Don Quixote, and then I'm like, oh, there's got to be a video game of that. <laughs> there's no way he he sat down and uh, read that book when he had to watch, uh, you know, the Wonder Years fifty five more right. times or whatever. Because that comes a, a page after they've debated. You know, they spent. Uh, you know, 500 word count padding things, debating whether Thor's weapon was better or whether, uh, you know, Wonder Woman's lasso. But uh, then, then he then he unleashed the the choice line. My own personal choice would have been Excalibur, as depicted in the film of the same name. <laughs> <laughs> yes, because people are unfamiliar with Excalibur unless they talk about the. What the? It has to be the seventieth movie made about Excalibur. Yes, I guess four hundredth book about Excalibur. <laughs> it's not even the uh, yeah right exactly. The uh, Monty Python is a in his wheelhouse, but it was this particular one. Um, but yeah, so he's uh, they tease sort of that there's something happened with this bully, which I guess is something that we're supposed to wonder what happened between them but uh, you know who who cares yeah he brings it up twice and i thought you know this is at least better restraint than his normal thing where he describes something you know like unlike the that dark incident in the past and then you think oh well we'll be getting back to this later but he usually will go the dark incident in the past <laughs> <Yes>. was <laughs> but this time he didn't do it so i don't know i i just want to i just want to give uh give the props when they're, yeah, deal, when, sure. when they're due all right. Well, but let's take a U-turn from that to something else that I thought was funny in this first chapter was uh, he's he's seen the seen the flying saucer and he's just sort of like sitting there going on for a long time about how crazy he feels. But he says that he's, he felt a sudden urge to run out of school, drive home and find it. And so, you know, you, you pause there and you're like, well, that's that's crazy. That would driving home. That would you can't possibly do that. That would take forever. But then the next sentence, it wouldn't take long. My house was only a few minutes away. <laughs> yeah, I, yep. I loved that too. He's, yeah. He's not one of those students that's uh, putting in two hour commutes. Um, and then uh, later he says, as he's driving home, he almost ran two stop signs during the short drive home. Oh, so he, so he put on his hazard lights and drove the last few miles, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, uh, we have to. He said that he when he went home he hauled ass, and I I just make a oh. note like keep an eye out. It could be the new get the hell out of Dodge. Oh wow, nice. <laughs> All right, That's, I hauled ass once again. A a phrase used maybe by the guys who used to beat me up in junior high. You better right. haul ass out of here. <laughs> um. So yeah, that was that's that's sort of the the start. It, it ends chapter one ends with him um, hauling ass home, and he's about to uh, go into the attic. But uh, before we get there, do you want to break for some real or fanfic? Oh, let's do that. Yes, this right. is a good place. Wow, that music means it's time for, yes, for... <laughs> real or fan fiction. Very popular segment, uh, which we'll get into afterwards. But it's uh, it's days maybe numbered. We'll have to see. Just there's uh, it's hard to find fanfic about this book. It's uh, yeah, ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're not going to lie to you. This uh, this thing is in jeopardy. Well, let's go through it and then we'll make our appeal. All right, I've got two for you. Okay. Uh, the first one uh, begins thusly. Then another inspiration struck me. I was still thinking about Nick Cage and Vampire's Kiss and his ridiculous fangs. Who else had fangs and was related to the color blue? Vriska Circuit. And where had she stood or cast a shadow when she visited John's house? Next to the tire swing, in front of the Ghostbusters-themed bouncy thing. And 1984 <laughs> was, of course, when the original Ghostbusters movie had been released. That's it? That's it. That's, uh, yeah. All right. I will, uh, I'll hold my answer and wait for the okay. next sample. Uh, number two. Uh, 
The EDA has been tracking and profiling you ever since you first played a video game online. That's why I was assigned to watch over you and to help facilitate your training. He grinned. You know, sort of like Obi-Wan watching over Luke when he was growing up on Tatooine. You're a bold-faced liar like Obi-Wan, too, I shot back. That's for sure. Ray's smile vanished and his eyes narrowed. And you're being a whiny little bitch just like Luke. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, well, I, oh boy, it's tough. I recognize some of the, I mean, let's be clear in the rules. Both could be fan fiction. Both could be both from could the be book. Real, yes. yes. I'm going to say, and again, it's always flipping a coin. I'm going to say number one is fan fiction. Number two is real. You are correct. Ah, you are correct. It was Number because of the EDA, I believe, was here. So not that that's, oh, I mean, well, people yeah. use, you know, people take his phrases all the time. So that wasn't the giveaway, but I thought, well, flipping a coin, I'll go with that. <laughs> the uh, first one is from a uh, Ready Player One slash Homestuck fan fiction. I, I do not, not know what that. that is, but I think that's where Vriska Circuit come from. It's uh, <laughs> That irritated I, I me, and I don't even know what it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's uh, yeah, but you know, it's it, it it doesn't it doesn't stand out to the point where you immediately are you know you wouldn't bet your mortgage on it. That's for sure. Yeah. Well done. Um, <laughs> all right. But, so yeah, the problem is there isn't Armada fan fiction online because of the yeah. the relative unpopularity of this book compared to Ready Player One. Correct. Yes, there's, I mean, there's literally nothing on fanfiction.net. Um, and if you look up all the Ready Player One fanfiction, a lot of it has um, character names that we recognize or, you know, references to gunting or that sort of thing. So it would be too easy to um, to, to, to guess when you did that. Well, how uh, I would like to appeal to our audience to write us fanfiction, but uh, how would we, we're figuring this out on air, how would we structure it so that we could challenge <laughs> each other if we're both able to look at it there's got, um there's gotta be a yeah way. well yeah we'll figure that out send it to the 372 pages at gmail.com and we'll uh we'll figure it out maybe i'll we'll we can both log into that and look at it um we can leave them unread until we till we find it so oh we can um, have uh we could have someone else disperse them to us a, th a yes. disinterested third party right that will be that, that'll be what we'll do okay sounds good but yeah send them in and uh try and trick us all right. Yep. All right. That was real or fan fiction. Let's <laughs> should we move on to chapter two? Yes, let's do it. Uh, chapter two uh, starts with him about to go back into the attic uh, where he is uh, reluctant to do this. He's he's talking about how the 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 first time as a 10 year old, he went up into the attic. He felt like Clark Kent looking into his Kryptonian identity. But now he feels like Luke Skywalker, like about to go into a cave with Yoda. It's it's. I, you know, I understand, I guess, what he's getting at, but it's, there's there's no difference uh, in the in, in what he's describing to the to the casual reader there. No, it, it, I wrote this one down because I, I actually didn't realize, to my detriment, I didn't realize he was talking about that he'd felt like Clark Kent in the past. I thought it was all in the okay. present. But the, the sentence is actually, I'd felt like a young Clark Kent preparing to finally learn the truth about his origins from the holographic ghost of his long dead father. But now I was thinking of a young Jedi in training named Luke Skywalker looking into the mouth of that cave on Dagobah. I just wrote down like, wait, which is now and which one are you thinking of? Like, it's very convoluted and it's very so he's he felt like one, but now he's yeah, he, he's it, but it's the same action both times. Yeah, it's, um, he's just walking up there. So I, I thought it was the same thing. I, I, but I guess it was that was the past. I was supposed to know that that was the past. Uh, I don't, I don't you, know. 
Right. It's one of six Star Wars uh, references in this first 47 pages, which is even by his standards, a stunning measure. And that doesn't count what we're about to get to um, when he does go back to his father's journal. Um, but so he, he he recounts how he went up there as a 10 year old, which he describes as being during his garp phase. Yeah, I didn't know what that was. I okay. didn't even look it up. There's a book called The World According to Garp. Oh, I thought it was GURP. I'm sorry. Was, uh, well, that was part of a list. I, I may be I, I'm, uh, I'm conflating two things. Okay. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I know the world according to GARP. But, uh, but what does that mean in terms of GARP phase? I don't know. I read that, okay. I read that when it came out. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Well, it's something that uh, a 10-year-old is clearly aware of uh, as he's exploring the attic about his dead father. But um, <laughs> um, he... he Goes up there, or he went up there, and he had found it was uh, it was like a soothing balm to my soul. He had found some classic arcade and video game ROMs, um, and he had found a uh, a box of uh, role playing game supplements, which were a an underrated detail in Ready Player One. People were always uh, perusing through a a RPG supplement in H's Hideaway, which I <laughs> I found amusing that those those reared their head again. But uh, he had gone up there and shamelessly read through them all, gulping down new details about the man who had sired me, which Ugh. I thought was sort of a, a gross, a gross way to put it. That was really gross. That like made me go, ah, yeah, it's like stubbing your toe when I read yeah. that. Um, but it, uh, you know, it wasn't all it wasn't all uh, classic arcade games and RPG supplements. He found some stuff that he found very disturbing. He was uh, disturbed by his father's journals, which he thought were sort of crazy rantings. And he was haunted by the name Phaeton, which was a uh, arcade game his dad had described. Mm-hmm. And I <laughs> I was so 10 uh, year old, you're in fourth grade. And I was like, just wondering what what 10 year old who had just discovered like a boxes and boxes of movies and a you know collection of every video game that ever existed would possibly give a shit about any of this journal this list his father had written down like you would be downstairs hooking this up before you would even like you're gonna go through your father's old notebooks like it made absolutely no sense from the perspective of you know i'm trying to remember the stuff that i liked in fourth grade which was like vanilla ice um you know, Mario three, I was just, I had no discernment about quality, obviously, but absolutely no desire to get into the minutia of old notebooks and stuff. It was like, well, let's go play these things. Hey, but, but you're not him. Remember he'd attempted to fill the void created by his absence with data by absorbing every scrap of information about him <laughs> that I could. Does that sound vaguely familiar at all? <laughs> yes. Memorizing and making lists and absorbing information? Yeah. Oh, it's, boy. The, uh, it's the MacGuffin of how you're going to be able to wedge these references in, I guess. Exactly. But his father had died uh, before he was born or like and it, and it had some it had some something that 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 sounded suspicious. Um, yeah. No, here, here's here's what he uh, he died when he was, I think pretty young I, I think like three or something like that but uh he says he he'd memorize he made a list of this by the way of the things that he knew about his father as he was growing up that were told to him by his mother and and his uh, eventually his grandparents are mentioned uh number three is he died in an on-the-job accident at the local wastewater treatment plant 
And number four, the accident supposedly wasn't his fault. But once my age reached double digits, these vague details were no longer sufficient to satisfy my growing curiosity about him. I love the fact that he died at a wastewater treatment plant was enough to satisfy him as a little kid. Hey, hey, enough. I get it. All right. Died at a wastewater treatment plant. He knew what he was getting into. (laughs) Exactly. If I know wastewater treatment plants, and look, I'm seven, so I do. Please, just no need to fill in anymore. Maybe when I get older, I'll be interested. But for now, that's good. Right. But then that that thing flips when he's when he's in a in ten ten years old, and he's he's eating a happy meal and like playing with the uh, you know Harry Potter toy that came with it, and something clicks in his head, and he's like, "Wait a second, I'm I need more details about this mysterious." Uh, circumstance <laughs> when he I'm got sick my of, orange soda and i'll ponder this some more when his figurines of wastewater treatment workers uh finally no longer could entertain him he he got more inquisitive <laughs> but uh so we get into something really good here uh and but right before we do that he, he there was something else that very much puzzled me and i again this is probably a reference uh but he says my father had he made this journal. My father had created it over a period of months or years using a variety of pens, pencils, and markers, parentheses, no crayons, thankfully. Oh, is it a reference or just meaning that uh, insane people, you know, insane people. scrawl in crayon or whatever? I, I don't know. Yes. I mean, I just, you know, I, no, thankfully not his own feces would be something, you know, like <laughs> that would I would associate more with insane, like whatever, like hey, s- slam on crayons. His for... previous uh, reference to crazy people with cats with not enough <laughs> marbles, babe. So I don't think he's he doesn't really have a grasp on what that means. Right. Yeah, exactly. He's using, you know, whatever they used to condemn Francis Farmer back in the day. That's still his baseline for crazy. <laughs> right. Um, but so what his father has written here is a. A section that I'm sure will become legendary amongst our modern readers it is the chronology, um, and it is four pages of, uh, you know, a timeline uh, of listing things, yep. uh, listing science fiction uh, movies and video games, essentially. It is unbelievable. I mean, and, and there is no, within the list, there is no editorializing. No. There's it's, like occasionally an exclamation mark that like Return of the Jedi was released and that's that's warranted an exclamation mark. Yeah, or I wonder at, at first I was like, is that a musical of that movie that I think the, <laughs> the abyss had a, an exclamation point? I'm like, it must be the, the musical, I guess. Right. Yeah. It's like how they'll release a movie that's, you know, it's not Rocky. It's Rocky Balboa. They just make that slight tweak. So, you know, that it's uh, not the exact same thing. Yeah. But um, I, I was stunned by the fact that there was zero zero editorialized simply a list of things that happened right. in in so, sci-fi so mike i have a little treat for you because i was reading this and i was wondering people always talk about will wheaton reading these audiobooks and so i was like what on earth did he do for this yes uh, so I, I i tracked it down and i have oh. a little uh, i have a little clip that i, I want to uh, want to share with everybody i'm excited all right let's uh should we just queue it up yeah all right here it comes 1994 Star Wars TIE Fighter, Wing Commander 3, Doom 2. 1994, The Puppet Masters, Stargate. 1995, Absolute Zero, Shockwave, Wing Commander 4. Uh 1996, Marine Doom. Doom 2, modified for use by the USMC. 1996, Star Trek First Contact, Independence Day. 1997, Men in Black, Starship Troopers, Contact. 
1997, Independence Day video game tie-in released, PlayStation <laughs> and PC. Ah, yes. Uh, so oh, that's, my uh, God. Can you imagine that, uh, if you were an over-the-road trucker and you accidentally, like, here, take this with you, and you pop yeah, that in. <laughs> You're like, man, I've been on the road for quite a while. I need something to really perk me <laughs> yes, up. Right. Trucker falls asleep at <laughs> wheel and crashes into school bus. <laughs> so that goes on for five minutes and 55 seconds of audiobook time. The list does? Yeah, it starts It starts like that. Wow. And just, he, just, he reads it in that tone and... Uh, um, like you said, no editorializing. It's it's incredible. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. Because I it's mean, like the opposite of Krusty the Clown coming in and out in ten seconds. Because Ready Player One was larded up pretty heavily with that too, and and Will Wheaton read that. I assume it's the same same deal. Yeah, the scoreboards, I guess, or just uh, yeah. the they had that list of um, I mean, yeah, that list of the the main list of all the directors he liked and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's pretty impressive. Wow. That is incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's uh, he, he reads through that uh, spellbinding uh, chronology, and then he starts to he sort of gets into a little bit of uh, like actual urban legends that he sort of tries to tie into what I guess is going to be the 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 plot here of uh, Activision sending you a patch if you had a high score and uh, this Polybius machine, um, which is you know something that. I've heard about, but only in hearing about the urban legend of it. Like it was never something that I heard about, but it's, it's sort of like Dan Brown turf of being like, Oh, well, like here's what this uh, symbolism in the Mona Lisa could have meant about the, uh, Knights Templar type of thing, like real life things that are obviously bullshit, but they're sort of giving it a little bit of, of real life credence. Yeah. I think he asks a lot of, well, maybe he's just asking a lot of me, my style of reader where I'm like, I've ne- I've never heard of this before. So if this is a, uh, a real thing, you know what I mean? I can't, I can't discern between what's real. You know, is it right. Sobrakai Glaive? Is that a real? Thing? I don't, I don't know anymore. Right. I don't care anymore. Right. And so, exactly. when this comes along as a major plot point, and then he's like, he describes it, and I'm like, oh, is this this is the thing? So this is the conspiracy? No, that's a real conspiracy. It was debunked, right. of course. <laughs> so once again, the, the Klein tension thing. Like, all right, oh, okay, so it's some sure. conspiracy where they get people to. Nope, it's not. Right. But obviously, uh, it is going to be again. But yes, you know, it's, yes. But I mean, but uh, he sort of he 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 finds this uh, uh, the journal that he says has lists of names, dates, movie titles, and half-formed theories scribbled across every page. And my my reaction was just well. Then he goes on to publish these scribblings under the pen name Ernest Klein, and then um, <laughs> makes millions of dollars. But he talks about uh, these three movies: Ender's Game. Iron Eagle, yes. Iron Eagle, which he describes, had instantly become one of his go-to pleasures. Which I, I don't know too many ten-year-olds that have guilty pleasures. They're just, uh, mm-hmm. they don't have the discernment to 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 have that sort of um, difference between a good movie and a bad movie. But anyway, and then uh, the last Starfighter, which we talked about last time, which I think he's just going to pretty much be parroting the plots of those, which are someone is good at video games and is then recruited by the government. Yeah, exactly. Oh, by the way, I, before we skip over it, um, I want to uh, go back to something because he mentions it again here, and I had a question about it. His mother, uh, she had revealed some detail about, oh, that they uh, that he was conceived in the back of the crappy car or whatever. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he says she revealed it after one too many back-to-back viewings of Say Anything, <laughs> which made me th- so one too many back-to-back viewings so she watched it at least four times in a row 
I guess. I mean, the the back-to-back viewing could happen, and then there could be space between them, but it's sort of implying that she's watching it back-to-back in a a number of times in a row. Right, yeah. You wouldn't say one too many drinks, and then you'd be like, oh, yeah, she had one drink every day for, you know— for for a year like it would be like she had one too many she had five and then she blurted that information out right so i'm uh, you know if you say like a few or one too many it probably means at least three so she was watching say anything <laughs> at least six times non-stop non-stop wow. six times because then he I... talks about repeated viewings of iron eagle but doesn't say whether you know he sometimes took in one too many back-to-back, back-to-back. viewings of it <laughs> But the other detail about his mom I liked is that she uh, she puts on a Charlie Brown Christmas album um, every year. Uh, that's where he got his online handle from. But she she opts to not go with the Vince Guaraldi Charlie Brown Christmas no. soundtrack. She opts to go with the Royal Guardsman's Snoopy versus the Red Baron album, which is yes. like a novelty song that it does have a song called Snoopy's Christmas, which is a sequel to that song. I looked it up, but it's, you know, that would be like, I don't even know what the. Uh, you know, oh, I watch that movie, A Christmas Story, every year. The uh, the remake where Daniel Stern is the dad. Um, yes, that's what I mean when I say I watch A Christmas Story every year. I watch the the direct to video sequel from 2010. Hey, honey, well, it's Christmas. It's time to watch our favorite Jimmy Stewart movie. <laughs> so, oh, Winchester seventy three exactly. <laughs> so that that just from a minutia perspective that tickled me. Yes. Um, and then something else that someone wrote in about was that his dad is is saying that the uh, his conspiracy theory to lay it out is that the government is control is in control of the entire video game industry. Yes. So then then they're they've they've made some of these games to train people um, to fight uh, like Doom and uh, Asteroids or whatever. But uh, a, a woman named Janelle wrote in and said, so he's in he's in he's in they're in control of the entire video game industry. So that means they're producing stuff like. Mario in time or Donkey Kong Jr. They're, the government is, is is tentacles are overseeing all these things. So they're like, yeah, yeah, make the ones to train the guys. Yeah. But like, what the hell is the are the people doing that are that are working on a boy in his blob? Like, we need some reports right. from that department and we need uh, we need the guys making Conker's bad fur day to weigh in like <laughs> uh, Earthworm Jim. Uh, <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Like, we don't need any messages in there, but like we want it to be, you know, acclaimed and, uh, you know, sort of revolutionize the control scheme on the uh, Super Nintendo controller. Um, <laughs> right. So they were like they oversaw the failure of the Atari Jaguar. Um, you know, they 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 were like, you know, we need Sega to cash in on. Uh, anyway, there's all sorts of things you could. <laughs> yeah, their uh, their production of the Dreamcast. I really had high hopes for. <laughs> yes. Right. But... <laughs> The government authorized the game named Seaman. They were like, all right, well, that was stupid. That was clearly going to be very unappealing to people. Um, anyway, so that was that was a, you know, well, if you're taking them at face value, you've got to uh, you've got to assume that these things are true. Yeah. Um, so do you have anything else about chapter two? Uh, I have a couple of uh, nitpicks. He, nice. He talks about his mother uh, giving him the stories and said that she was a trooper and that's a typo. She's, he said T R O O P E R trooper is of course T R O U P E R. Okay. Uh, and again, I said, it's a nitpick. The other thing he said was (laughs) his starry eyed, he had the same starry eyed wanderlust that had triggered my glaive fighter hallucination. Wanderlust. (laughs) Don't think he knows what the word wanderlust means. (laughs) <laughs> he has the desire to travel because he saw the glaives. I don't know. It doesn't. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. 
He obviously wow. just doesn't know what it means. Yes, exactly. It's a. Uh, he had. He, I noted earlier that he said he had spent hundreds of hours just looking out at the distant horizon, which is a life well lived, sir. <laughs> yeah. Hundreds well, of hours. Yeah, that could have been. Uh, you know, that's that's wonder years time just going to waste, buddy. Let's go to chapter three. But before we do that, uh, I I have a uh, a plug, Mike. Oh yes, a, uh, yes, I'm excited. The uh, Blue Apron is revolutionizing. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> and it comes but, in a box the size of a mini fridge. <laughs> but uh, no one has actually said this. But people are probably probably wondering, you know, you know, why don't you you put your money where your mouth is? Because you talk about how terrible these guys' books are for, um, you know, hours at a time. And so I've I've taken those imaginary criticisms to heart and. Uh, Maybe by the time you hear this, but next week on uh, February 7th, I'm releasing a novel that uh, people will be able to uh, buy and read. And I would encourage you to do so if you are a fan of this podcast or if you uh, would like to read something that's uh, more entertaining than the books we've been talking to you about. Fantastic. Tell us about this book. Wait, first of all, tell how many books have you published? So this is my second novel. I have put out uh, two other books that were um sort of coffee table books about Wikipedia, bad Wikipedia writing. Me and Josh Frulinger, the comics curmudgeon, did those. Right. Uh, Pick those up. I, very funny. Those you are... wrote the uh, the foreword to the second one, which is also very funny. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a very weird niche interest, but uh, it's provided us a lot of delight over the years. It is. It's uh, it, it's great to pick it up and, uh, and find something very funny and... Uh... <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, something to, to pass around to the whole family. And, yeah. uh, and then your first novel. The first novel was called Gone Whalen. It was a, uh, it's, you know, an absurd, they're, they're comedy from the, from the first part, but it was a book about a kid who starts waking up every other day on a 18th century whaling ship um, and the uh, problems that that causes his uh, college life. And uh, he has to balance the two between um, surviving on the whaling ship and uh, navigating the treacherous world of uh, being a junior in college. And you never read, you wrote this book and you never read Moby Dick or two years before the mast. Is that correct? It it was a, a lot of people pointed out that there were numerous (laughs) inaccuracies about the whaling life that I portrayed, which I, you know, I was upfront about that, that I was not going to be doing any research when I did that book. Uh, when I watched that movie with, uh, Thor in it, the heart of the sea. That was sort of the real life story of Moby Dick. I was sort of impressed by how, (laughs) how wrong I had got some of that stuff, but (laughs) You know, if you're if you're if you're time traveling and uh, viewing the person's life by looking into his ear while he's unconscious, I would hope that you've suspended um, yeah, disbelief you, enough to. You weren't writing Master and Commander, the far side exactly. of the world. Yeah. But then uh, so the new one is called the Pole Vault Championship of the Entire Universe. Um, and it is uh, a deathly serious tome about um, a Holocaust survivor. And uh, it's not <laughs> it's uh it's about a uh, a high school girl who uh, she has believed her whole life that her grandfather is dead, but it turns out that he's not. And he has, uh, in fact, founded his own micronation, um, which uh, is a, a thing people do when they're crazy. They found a little uh, parcel of land and, and declare it sovereign. Um, and he has managed to uh, be hosting the Olympics there in a matter of days. And so he recruits her to accompany him to the Olympics and uh, – Everything is proceeding as normal when the aliens show up. Um, Whoa! So, yeah. Par- parallel. <laughs> it's uh, so yeah. It's uh, it'll be out. I think you can you can certainly order it, pre-order it right now, and you can read it uh, next Wednesday. Fantastic. Yeah. 
thanks for letting me plug that. Connor is a very funny writer. I urge you all to pick it up. I assume there is, can we guarantee a laugh on every page or can we guarantee a laugh in every paragraph? What have, what have you settled on? Oh, man, I went for every page and I sort of tried to make it um, in, in paragraphs just because, you know, that's the main focus. Uh, but we'll see. I think every page is certainly you can you can do and hopefully it will make you uh, make you laugh out loud. That is a laugh bargain, people. So pick it up. Not a guarantee. Yeah. <laughs> well, fantastic. That's very exciting. It's always Thanks. Yeah, uh, it should be cool. I'll send you a copy. Great. I'm looking forward to it. It, it was sort of like I started writing it before we had done all this. So there is a whole like major subplot involving uh, Briggs and uh, listing my favorite things from 80s pop culture, which in retrospect, mm, yeah. Are, yeah, it was yeah. It's you sort might of have embarrassing. Left, you might have left yourself open to some <laughs> charges a, of hypocrisy. <laughs> Physician heal thyself. We'll, we'll see. There's, we'll see. There's a part where one of the aliens just quotes the Goonies for uh, three pages straight, and that's, <laughs> I don't know, people might, 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 might seize on that, but we'll uh, see. I think you put a fresh twist on it. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so the, uh, as we move on with Armada, he, uh, enters into the uh, third chapter, which is his work life. He's late for work and he shows up at this sort of strip mall where he works at a video game store, uh, which is next to a Thai restaurant. Oh yes, yes, yes. Because this ties into something I wrote down. This is one paragraph, maybe one and a half short paragraphs. Here are the phrases that you get. And, and after that you can... This will be clear when I read it. Uh, it. One short paragraph contained these phrases. Starship captains, TIE fighters, Star Trek, Enterprise, Turbo Lasers, <laughs> Overclocked Gaming PC, and ended with, Dost thou care for a Funyun? <laughs> it really, it's like, a, uh, it's like a Harlem Globetrotters routine where they end with a spectacular alley-oop. Yeah, so, yep, the Thai, the Thai restaurant called Thai has turned into a, they call it the Thai Fighter. And they call yep. it that because they said that the H bows out and looks like a Thai Fighter? If I told you that there was a restaurant, a Thai restaurant that I had nicknamed Thai Fighter, you would say, oh, yep, little, uh, little clever wordplay. But he has to go and add on this absurd uh, uh, image that makes, I don't even know what he's talking about, and I know what a Thai Fighter looks like, but they have... Crafted their their uh, restaurant sign so the the capital H had a circular bulge at its center that made the letter resemble an imperial fighter with twin ion engines. <laughs> and I guess that's just in case you didn't get it. Like he's sort of doing the Mister Miyagi thing we talked about earlier. He's yep. <laughs> but this is after he had explained that his the place that he works is a, a video game store. They they sell. I mean, it's just like uh like any mall video game store, right? Except the what was the facade? He said his boss had sunk a fortune into the facade of the thing, and uh, and the place gets like one or two customers a day. They, they yeah. pretty much admit later. He said, it sure did look cool, but he'd sunk a fortune into it. <laughs> into his strip mall awning? Yes. So I, I just was like, okay, so it's going to be this eccentric, independently wealthy dude when we meet him. And I'm like, no, it's the traditional slobby the video game guy. player. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so he's you know he's the he's running a, uh, a Kevin Smith Clerks uh, slash Androids Dungeon from The Simpsons kind of store. 
where he you know walks in and a the Star Trek noise of the the whooshing doors still made me smile every time I applied I arrived at work, which I thought was just like because I'm an easily amused simpleton <laughs> yeah, every time. So yeah. yeah, so like setting your uh, your error message on your early PC to go go go. It amused me every time. <laughs> he walks in from work like you know the day that his uh, ex girlfriend had dumped him for that wrestler. Just feeling like down in the earth, he wants to leap off his roof, and then it whooshes, and he's like, ah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, his boss, who who offers him Dost Diwanta Funyan, uh, my lord, uh, says that Ray seemed, seemed to subsist primarily on a diet of high fructose junk food and old video games. It was hard not to love the guy. <laughs> uh, apparently the only one on the planet who feels that way about this guy. <laughs> Yes, because he's he's an idiot. He puts everything on sale all the time. Uh, he uh, has earned all his money in the dot com boom, um, so he just evidently can can waste it here. But he 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 frequently berates children to the point where he's driving them from the store with his opinions on crop circles and cheat codes. So that's a cool thing to do to get to children. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think we've all had a a barber or something that we've uh, really enjoyed hearing his theories on the gold standard or whatever. You yes. know? <laughs> That's what yes. it's like. Children love that. Exactly. You berate someone about quantitative easing to the point where they're like, <laughs> I will go to any, I will, I will yeah. pay a guy on the street to cut my hair rather than have to listen to this anymore. Yeah, your haircuts are inexpensive. They're comfortable. I love what you do. And yet I'm out of here, man. I was reminded of uh, when, uh, the, it, it, when the catchphrase, when August and George bought the, uh, bought the orange box. Um, oh, yeah. you know, however many years ago, I just, I, for whatever reason, that's something I remember where the clerk who, who they purchased it from was like, that is a lot of game, man. Yeah. He like, you know, before he could, they could take it out of his hand. He sort of gripped it a little tighter and made sure to look in their eyes and say, you're getting a lot of game on this baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we've. We're we're aware. We we want to purchase it. We're aware of what it contains. It's a primary the value for the amount of hours we're going to get is a primary driver here. I want you to come back in next week and tell me if I was wrong about that. Yes. If you don't, I got your number right here. I'm going to call you. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so he is he is playing uh, Terra Firma, which is the bizarrely uh, segmented uh, cousin to Armada. Um, we've, we've yet to meet Armada, but we, I guess we, we, we know that there are two games, the land and the sea, land and the uh, air version. And he goes to a very long description of it. Um, the, the one thing that I took away from that was that in Terra Firma, uh, in the video game, you are controlling drones for this warfare. Yes. Which uh, it was a bizarre... Um, sort of fourth wall to put in there. So you on a video game, you log in and I think you're controlling a, a fake thing in general. Yeah. I don't know. I had no idea why they needed to put that extra step in there. I think it probably sets up a thing that yeah, later I, he's going to go, he's going to go old school and he's going to oh, get inside get the thing. Yeah. Uh, Cause he, so. he, he spent a chapter. Uh, look, it was very, very hard to keep my eyes open during this. This <laughs> chapter was unbelievable. I, I wrote down. I know it's not a. Um, it is not a, a, a 
department that we do on the show, but I'd like to at least nominate something. I don't think it's probably oh. good for our listenership, but the most boring <laughs> sentence of the week. This is not, oh, wow. Yeah, this is not something we want to call out necessarily. Yeah. But he gets a, uh, his boss gives him a controller at some point, which the description of is just like, you cannot keep your eyes open. But this is after that. He says, uh, Chaos Terrain manufactured a wide variety of terra firma controllers, including the best-selling Titan Control System, a dual flight stick rig that we sold yes. right here in the store. <laughs> All right. <laughs> He's just giving us other models of flight sticks. He's just describing right. them Inventory. and talking about. And by the way, if you did need to, to buy one, we do carry them here in the store. Like, it's a fictional store. I can't go buy it. I'm not looking for inventory right now. I don't, I don't really need a report. Right. I'll go to Amazon if I need. I don't know. What? Yeah, it was a. Uh, it took it took a long time, but they finally were unable to resist describing a rig in great detail. And I was amazed that the uh, the sensual nature of some of the things. It has a oh, hand yeah. on hands on throttle and stick. It's got eight way studs. It's a <laughs> it's a sensual sensual rig. I, I was really struck by the innovation of. Um, in RP1, obviously, lots and lots of descriptions of him playing video games. But this was a very long chapter of him <laughs> watching his rude, repulsive, Funyun-eating yes. boss playing video games. Yes. And then that was followed shortly by an unboxing. Yes. They, they, like, unbox the thing and they just describe it. It's, right. Wow. It is a, a, a transcription of an unboxing video, which is a, a, a brand new turf in unnecessary, <laughs> boring descriptions. But that was after I, he's literally just sitting over his shoulder watching him play a video game, and he's describing it. And he's, he's watching one of the—he's the, watching by far the best terma player, terra firma player I've ever seen in person. He is watching a member of the 30 Dozen, an elite guild uh, who devotes every waking hour to his missions— and so naturally, we watch him immediately get his ass kicked and fail, and Newark is leveled <laughs> yes. because of his incompetence, which is just a, a great, a great Kleinian touch. Um, I also noted that after he gave him the controller, like he showed him the controller and then said, you know, uh, he's like, yeah, but I could never afford it. And he actually talks about like thrusting his hands in his pockets and like kicking the floor <laughs> like he's one of the... <laughs> He's a cats and jammer kid or something. Yeah. Know. And then he's like, Oh, you like it, huh? And he pushes it back towards him. Consider it a graduation gift. And he's like, Oh boy, do you mean it? Oh gee. And he yeah. like gives the guy a hug, which I assume like covered him in funyun dust and everything. Yeah. Run home, Charlie, and don't stop to anyone along the way. Yeah. It was a very odd moment in the middle of this thing. It just again, his tone, he has no control over his own tone. Right. Yeah. The uh, the one thing he does have control of is the ability to uh, needlessly insert rush into his, his ah things, yes rush is back delightful I thought, it just you know and to his credit like he likes this uh, he likes rush and so he's wedging them in but it starts I thought it was sort of like a uh, a really shitty uh, director cameo like when Quentin Tarantino used to put himself in all his movies or M Night Shyamalan where it's like. I guess you're in charge um, and you're calling the shots so you can do this incredibly self-indulgent thing, but it, it doesn't make you look good, man. Like we know yeah. you want to do it and you know, <laughs> it's right. just there because you like it, but uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing to just wedge in there. Yeah, he had a lot of actual names that he mentioned, especially game designers, and I wonder how they felt about that. Like, hey, don't, I didn't, 
don't drag me into this man. Yeah. Because he makes up his fictional game designer, but then in order so that you get it, he's like, then he recruited others like blah, 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 you know, and actual guys who I I don't know who they are, but I assume they're real game designers. Otherwise, it would just be another list. And (laughs) I just wonder how they feel about that. Like, (laughs) keep me out of this. Yeah, a reader named Jordan Rohrer wrote in and sort of pinpointed like each one of those. Like, this guy is an animation studio head. This guy runs Valve, who hasn't shipped a game since 2003. Uh, Chirigimoto is a Nintendo producer. None of these people would, would leave to take this gig, and none of them work on this type of project. It's just sort of like a... Uh, you know, it's like your your dream team, I guess, if you were making a band, like you could get the best musicians who don't necessarily work together well, but, you know, they're the best at all of what they do. You know, right. I'd have Steve Vai and then I'd have, uh, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, that uh, jazz drummer uh, who's, you know, the alcoholic guy who berates his band type of thing. I don't, right. I don't know any <laughs> famous jazz drummers, but anyway. <laughs> Yeah, what else happened here? Uh, the one, the, the other one that I took note of was he said the game's backstory embraced a lot of tired alien invasion tropes, which again is a is a how dare you moment to our author here. Well, he's he's actually that's what he's going to be using in the book. It's not only things that he's done in the past or that he's leaned on. That's going to be the plot, I assume, is going to be nothing but a tired alien invasion trope. So I I was puzzled by why he did that. How's he going to get himself out of his own <laughs> noose? <laughs> it's very, yeah, from everything that I have gathered about this, it's pretty much the plot to The Last Starfighter, which I watched the trailer of and I'm not going to watch the movie. I think that my time to appreciate that movie has probably passed. Um, but it's... Uh, I keep thinking of... I, this quote stuck, stuck with me for some reason, but when Roger Ebert reviewed uh, Office Space... He talked about how they, you know, their their little scheme to shave off the pennies, they, like, acknowledged that it came from Superman 3, which he was like, you know, a dumb movie would pretend this hadn't happened, but a smart movie, you know, acknowledges that this is where these guys would have heard about this type of scheme. Right. And so it's like, I guess, you know, sure, in that one little dose, it's smart, but when you're just like, yeah, this is exactly like the whole plot of The Last Starfighter, it, it doesn't make you seem smart in that situation. It's just sort of like... You know, he Klein is always saying like, no one in a zombie movie has ever seen a uh, a zombie movie before. But this is different than that. I think it's just as oh, a, it sort is. of a Be- wholesale. Yeah, because he does it many times. Like he does it in small ways and large. When he did the, he was describing some creature in the the game, which again, I, I my eyes were half lidded at that point. But uh, <laughs> he described a creature uh, that he was fighting and said it's the Terminator with his skin off. With a globe on his head or something, that right, was it. Yeah. Like he's no, it, just just picture that. That that's all you need to do. I, <laughs> yes. I, look, I don't want to get to the down and dirty about describing a thing. Just is the Terminator. So yeah, he, he that's that's his stock and trade. <laughs> Buddy Rich was the jazz drummer. Isn't yes. he the uh, the guys get shirts guy? No, that's uh, the guys get shirts is Paul Anka. Oh damn it. <laughs> But yeah, I think Buddy Rich has that reputation. I was telling yeah. somebody about uh, uh, James Brown and his technique on stage. Did you know that he? You can see it in live concerts, which are on film and everything. Of him, he'll be uh, he'll be singing, he'll be vamping, and then he'll say something that sounds incomprehensible, and he'll point back to the band. And what he's saying is, "I just deducted fifty dollars from you because." <laughs> You just you just screwed oh, up, and this is like concerts are peppered with that. And then you watch the guy; you'll see the reaction of the guy. will be like, "Oh man, wow!" <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> he would just do it live all the time, like, and <laughs> signal to them that they just uh, blew it instead of like the after band meeting, like occurred during the concert, apparently. <laughs> yeah, it's like a uh, wrestling coach giving out burpees or something. It's yeah. a. Uh, I always heard that he fined his band, but I never really thought about the process of how it would have yeah. worked. Yeah, he did it live. Well, that's. I think that's what I've got for there. Uh, you have anything else for the uh, from the from the game store? I just have. Let's see, a couple of things to dust up, and then uh, I'll save. I have runners up to dumb sentence of the week. Okay, uh, but I'll. Um, but then I have my actual one. Um, oh, here was just one little. Uh, Odds and ends. The name of the game designer did that stick out to you? I didn't look it up, so I. But I. Oh, I, I did no, look it up. It? I didn't see anything that that it referenced. Who was it? Finn Arbogast, <laughs> which I thought was getting very Lucasy on us there. Yeah, wow, well, yeah, definitely. Finn Arbogast, and I assumed that was like the name of a a game, but no, no hits came up when I huh. when I put it in. It was just just references to armada so i don't know what it means but it just sounded really dumb and unnecessary yeah that's very lucasian yes uh Uh, so that's it so we're left with the story so far is he sees an alien and he goes to work (laughs) i mean right i guess he saw he once again rooted through his father's mad ravings but that didn't really reveal much other than that his father also was sort of insane yeah, or his father is maybe has been recruited to this, and that's why he mysteriously disappeared in that absurd thing. Um, yeah, you know, we all know where this is going. It just is like at yes. this point we need we needed to get there. Um, so, well, yeah, that's that that's the first fifty pages. That and five point uh, five minutes and fifty five seconds of reading a list of uh, movies that came out. Yeah, so that's your guess is that his dad was recruited out of the wastewater treatment plant into the the military, and he's going to be still alive. I, w- I would like nothing more to be proven wrong and that his dad's body is like still unrecoverable, like in, you know, the pile of sewage at the his, waste treatment plant. or like, mummified in Yeah, in he's feces. like caught halfway through a filter in the, uh, that's supposed to keep him out. They just haven't been able to get down there and get it because it would involve shutting off the city's water for like 24 hours. But yes, I think that that's, that's my prediction. Uh, by the way, this is unrelated to any, well, it's related, but I, uh, my father for a time when I was a youth, he worked at wastewater treatment plants. Uh, he was part of the city uh, city water team. Oh, well. And so as a kid, I used to go through the wastewater treatment, and we'd walk out on the big things where the, the raw sewage came in, and then it was treated, okay. and then in the next, and there was like a little dock that you walked through, you know, many, many gallons of human waste. And when you got to the end, it was like, hey, I'm starting to smell pretty good down here. <laughs> and, then, and then fresh water came out uh, the other side. So uh, wow. as a kid, it was pretty cool to walk across a gigantic lake of poop. And then yeah, no the kidding. End of it. it was pretty nice. That makes how the sausage is made look like a uh, candy factory or something. <laughs> yes. Um, well, yeah, let's get to the uh, dumb sentence of the week. Here it comes. A sentence begins with a capital letter. A capital letter is a letter that's big. A capital letter is not a small letter. A capital letter is big, big, big. A sentence ends with a period or an exclamation or a question mark. A sentence always ends. Okay, I think I'm clear on what a sentence is. Let's see uh, <laughs> if Ernest Klein is. Uh, yeah. Dumb well, sentence some- of the week. What do you What do you have for us? We've got some nominations from uh, people who wrote in. We got a ton of emails this week, uh, more than any other week, I would say. Um, so thanks for sending those in. We've covered a few of them. Uh, people wrote in about the conglomeration of video game designers. Uh, someone uh, 
had nominated uh, the one about Ozzy screaming all aboard. A guy named Kevin Loria said the one about Excalibur, as depicted in the film of the same name, was his uh, nomination. But Mm -hmm. one we didn't cover was David Kaysen wrote in and said, Maybe the memory of my father's conspiracy theory had been sitting up in a forgotten corner of my brain all these years, like a discarded crate of dynamite sticks, sweating drops of nitroglycerin onto my subconscious. <laughs> that's pretty, that's pretty maybe good. that had happened. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe that's what that's what <laughs> I would describe that as. So that's a, a bizarre thing that you know. Stick to the '80s references. Don't try to get too abstract here, yeah. which is uh, related to to my nomination for yes. sentence of the week. Connor, what is Uh, your dumb sentence of the week, please? Very early on. And yes, this is one sentence. Seeing that glaive fighter, (laughs) or imagining I'd seen it, had triggered a small rock slide in my mind that was already growing into a crushing avalanche of conflicting emotions and fragmented memories, all of them linked to my father and that old journal I'd found among his things. Wow. So he, <laughs> seeing it or imagining I'd seen it had triggered a rock slide that was already growing into a crushing avalanche, an avalanche of emotions and memories. Which your your uh, novel, National Novel Writing Month novel, like, you know, maybe you bang that out one night trying to hit your 2000 words and then you look at it the next day and like, what was I thinking? Like, just delete the whole thing. Like, no, I bet that and the uh, the nitroglycerin thing, he's kind of like, all right. There, you said you wanted something <laughs> besides. Images. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I have a couple, and I'll, I guess I'll read my, uh, yeah, all right, I'll read, I'll read them in this order, and then my final one. Uh, the first one's a simple one. If I had been a cartoon character, my eyes would have bulged out of their sockets. <laughs> yep, if you had, I guess so. That is true. Yes, That's one sure. way, one way to describe. Uh, that just struck me as stupid. All right, um. Dumb sentence of the week, too. My father's sketch of its cabinet was far more elaborate and detailed than his sketch of Polybius, perhaps because he'd claimed to have seen the game with his own eyes. Across the top of the page, he'd written, I saw this game with my own eyes. (laughs) (laughs) That's very Kleinian. I just thought that was uh, not the best example of Kleinian, but it's a very good one. Tell them what you're going to tell them and then tell them. <laughs> yeah, immediately tell them. Yes. Don't wait a second. Uh, all right, and here's my dumb sentence of the week, and this ties oh into something we've already talked about. It's a slightly longer. Uh, when the Star Trek door chime sounded a few minutes later and a gaggle of semi-regulars from the nearby junior high filed into the store, I shoved my new helmet, throttle, and flight stick controllers back into their box and stowed it under the counter before any of the prepubescent hooligans could lay their covetous eyes upon it. <laughs> Again, he's uh, he's an old man from a cartoon from the 30s. Right. He's yes, prepubescent exactly. hooligans. He's shaking his fist. And... Yes. Yeah. Go on, scram. Scram, you. I'm just sore is all. <laughs> oh well he, he does not fail to deliver on that front i'm in favor of trying to find the boring sentence i'm uh you know i don't know if we're going to find as good a theme song but uh let's uh yeah let's coming, look, folks. Let, yeah let's look that up yeah it's it's uh, it is fun to uh when you take them in 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 isolation it is fun right. so i don't think yes, it will exactly. be boring so uh no no no, no. yeah it'll be delightful uh well let's do uh just a few emails we go to the party we go to the game we ain't going to the dicker. Ain't gonna cruise out, man. We're stealing people's mail. Stealing people's mail. Stealing people's mail. 
Yes, let's steal some people's mail. What do you got for us, Connor? All right, I've got four emails, and let's see if you can detect the uh, theme that's going to emerge. Uh, Balaji Sarpeshkar writes in, says, Just a few chapters in, and I want to throw this book off a cliff. Glad I got it from the library and didn't pay for it. Um, Paul Kuhn writes in, uh, P.S., if Rush and their songs that are somehow perfectly timed for alien fighting are actually part of the conspiracy, I'm going to throw this book out the nearest window. Uh, Janelle writes in and says, I haven't felt a real need to chuck the book across the room, but then again, it's only been 47 pages. And then Vanessa uh, submitted a a comic on Twitter where she is uh, in the first panel. She is uh, reading a uh, on her phone a section that comes later that says, my mother was also ridiculously beautiful. I know people are supposed to say things like that about their mothers, but in my case, it happened to be fact. Few young men know the edible, edible torment. And in the second panel, it is her throwing her phone uh, to the foot of her bed. <laughs> so well, this is a uh, this is the uh, common reaction, evidently. Well, can I go back to a note I just skipped over because we, you know, we jump back and forth. But it is written down. I can guarantee it. The argument between the two mics was an early toss the book across the room moment. I really (laughs) thought I'd prepared myself better than that was one of my notes. So, yeah, we're on to something. Yeah. The the, the argument between the two mics was just... uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. We neglected that, but uh, it, it was pretty, pretty special. My my favorite part of that was he says, ever since grade school, I had been calling them by their last names to avoid confusion. The mics were still engaged in there. <laughs> oh, and, and then one guy, one, one more person wrote in, Nathan Dustman said, the way Ernest Klein delves deep into inane details about 80s subcultures reminds me of a no-talent version of Tom Clancy, who uses a book to brag about how good he is about researching technical information about military equipment, which turns out to have zero impact on the plot. The key difference between the two is that Clancy understands sentence structure and is quite capable of describing a developing storyline. So, that's yeah, a, uh, that is true. I, I've uh, I've abandoned. I think I've only tried Clancy once. I did abandon him when it was like a three-page description of a missile system. You know, right. so. well, if it, that's what I thought when I tried to read one of those Master and Commander books. I was like, I don't even know what the words he's using to describe the boats mean. Um, so it's just too much for me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then you won't like two years before the mast. <laughs> mast, I understand. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, so that's the, uh, that's mail. Please send them all in. We look at uh, Twitter and Facebook too. Uh, a lot of people are, uh, commenting on those. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, send us your dumb sentences of the week. Send us your boring sentences of the week. Send us your fan fiction. Good Lord. Yeah, we have a uh, lot of assignments for our uh, yeah, listeners because no uh, they also have to read. read. Yeah, read this. Oh, God, I didn't even look up what that was going to be. Oh, yeah, we, we uh, need to look that up. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's arbitrarily decide that right now. Oh, okay, it's going to happen live, people. Connor, I can see him right now. He's... Flop taking, sweat. He's picking up his coffee cup. He's trying let's, to get energy. Uh, let's, let's read up until phase two. Phase two, with, which starts with everyone's favorite uh, quote from everyone's favorite uh, book for a uh, dive bar bouncer to be reading, Sun Tzu. All, oh, war, yes. all, all war is deception. Uh, phase two uh, kicks in on uh, right after page 95, I guess. Uh, by the way, I was once uh, my flight got canceled and I had to be crammed into a plane, into a tiny plane to get home. And next right next to me, a guy who was spilling over into my seat was a uh, I assume was a bodybuilder. And he had uh, he, he it was a gun. Sh- the gun show was on <laughs> and he was in my and he was sitting with Sun Tzu 
and then um, like a nudie magazine. <laughs> and he was just, he couldn't be more proud of both of those things. And, wow. uh, and so I didn't, I, and, and his arm was draped over mine and there was no way to avoid watching him sit there and pretend to read something. <laughs> that would have been the most viral photo of all time if you had uh, been in this era. Yes. All right. Well, I think that's the show, right? We got these. That is, yeah. Yeah. So uh, thanks for joining us. We've got the assignments and um, thanks for listening. Yeah. We'll see you next time on 372 pages. We'll never get back. Armada edition. Armada. Big time. Buy my book. <laughs> <laughs>